Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also have strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing, from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and in interviewing the experts to help you and your journey to success. This episode is sponsored by Bright Pearl. Bright Pearl is a platform that helps Shopify-powered businesses like yours streamline everything that happens after a customer hits the buy button. Download Bright Pearl's free guide to automating your e-commerce orders now and discover how you could save tens of hours every single week with a few simple changes. Head to brightpearl.com forward slash life is short. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, my name's Nick. I host the show. I've been hosting since about June time. And prior to that was my lovely colleague, Caroline. If you've got any questions, want to get involved in the show, or you want any particular help with Shopify and that sort of thing, do check out our little Facebook group. It's obviously completely free. You can ask whatever you want and join the community on there. Just go onto Facebook and search Winning with Shopify. Today, we're in part two of quite an interesting series we're doing in partnership with Brightpearl. The series is all about automating your business so that you can scale it, or more specifically, automating Shopify so that you can scale up your Shopify store. We've been interviewing a number of different Shopify store owners or people that work for Shopify stores and Shopify companies or companies that use Shopify. And today I'm delighted to have a very special guest with me. His name's Nick, which means I like him already, given it's the same name as me, so it's a good start. But he's from a company called Snap Supply. So without further ado, Nick, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Well, we're going to dive into your journey and that sort of stuff as, uh, as we go through. But I always ask first question, do you want to tell us a little bit about Snap Supplies, so sort of what you guys do, how you set up and how it all got going? So we are a multi-channel e-commerce company. We sell appliance parts on both Amazon, eBay, Walmart, and of course, Shopify. Cool, cool. And so you, obviously, there's quite a few different platforms there. Without giving too much away then, which one is the sort of biggest, medium and smallest to you guys? You know, which one's the main focus for you, both at the moment and going forward then? You know, Amazon is how we got started. That's, you know, the big, big dog in the US. But short behind it is Shopify. And that is definitely our focus for the future, securing our website and growing with our customer base. Cool. And I, I'm going to jump the gun and assume that obviously that is because then you control the customer. So instead of selling to Amazon's audience, you're selling to your own audience and therefore you've got their email address. You can reach out to them as much as you want. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So Amazon controls the journey for their customers and we really want to control the journey for our customers in the way that we see fit. And Shopify is how we're able to do that. The other platforms included, they do restrict how you do business. Sure, sure. Okay, so diving in then. So obviously we're talking about automating and scaling up your business through 
not necessarily complete automation, of course, but automating as many processes as possible. Do you want to give us a bit of the backstory then to the business? You know, how did you get started? What was the sort of inspiration to to start uh, start Snap Supply? So it's kind of a interesting story. My father started a business with my mother in 1979. They were selling appliance parts and they were selling them to businesses. And about 10 years ago, my dad had invited me and my brothers to join the family business. And being the millennial that I am, you know, the first thing I started to talk about was eBay and Amazon. You know, why aren't we there? And that just wasn't in his vocabulary or interest. (laughs) (laughs) And so in 2015, I started to push a little harder. And eventually it was, well, if you want to do it so bad, why don't you give it a shot? So it started off with a Shopify site. I went straight to Shopify because I'd worked with WordPress in the past. And it requires a lot of coding. You need to find your own payment processor. You know, Shopify simplified everything for us. It had, you know, great product pages, Shopify pay, themes that had large catalogs, multiple photo capabilities, videos, and the list goes on. So we started with Shopify. And over the next few months, we used some of the great apps that Shopify has and connected to Amazon and started to use Shopify as our inventory management to kind of work with different channels like Amazon, eBay. We controlled all our inventory all through Shopify, easily integrated with Amazon. And, you know, the rest was kind of history. We started to take off. We went straight to FBA at Amazon and, you know, we grew pretty quick and here we are almost five years ago. I love what you're saying about Shopify in terms of the simplicity of it all. Um, we get a mix of stories from different companies and, and different Shopify businesses here, some of which you got it all wrong several times over and then Shopify was a breath of fresh air. Whereas it sounds like you guys obviously made a very good decision in the first place. You, The first platform you went with was one that sort of ticked the box. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, so I had experience working with WordPress for other companies And I knew I didn't have the coding skills to really accomplish what we were looking to do. Again, I'm doing this with a full-time job. So my time was limited and Shopify at that time was the only one really promoting an all-in-one turnkey type product. So I knew it integrated after research with Amazon and the different channels that I was looking for. So for me, it was a no-brainer. Start with something that's going to take away, you know, weeks of my time and just use the turnkey option out there and start small. I think it's really interesting to hear, like, I love the I love the analogy of the turnkey option. I think there's, I use the analogy plug and play quite a lot. And I think it's, it's interesting when people look at different bits of technology and they used to be, and I'm say used to three years ago, there was always this trade-off of the more simple it is, the less you can do to it. So there was always a trade-off between how much do we want to edit versus how much do we need to edit versus how are we going to make things as seamless and as easy as possible for us. Whereas, as you say, Shopify has got kind of best of both worlds in a sense. You can upload all your products and push them out to lots and lots of different platforms very, very quickly. And that element of it is automated and better than anything, it just works. But equally, have you guys then come up against any sort of frustration or pushback when you've been trying to make some of the more complicated changes to Shopify? Or has that just not been not been a problem for you? 
You know, we we used one of the free themes for quite some time, and any really roadblocks that we ran into with Shopify was typically something that a theme had a fix for. And so we didn't necessarily ever have to really code anything, but we did migrate to a theme that's it, it's a theme that mirrors Amazon in terms of how the product pages look and how the categories look. And so that was really our biggest challenge, getting our product to display in the way we want it with the content in the right areas. But again, we just use themes to fix it. And we use apps if we want to do custom pages without having to do code. So, you know, I have taken a coding class, but I almost never have to use it. I just use apps. Nice. I I love to hear that because one of the reasons we started moving to Shopify several years ago and obviously why we endorse it so heavily with this podcast is purely because it's it's almost like doing coding without the code. I think the world is finally reaching a point now where things like drag and drop is more normal to update a website than actually playing with codes. I think with Shopify as well, the way it's laid out, we've seen so many problems where people have played with the codes. And that's then caused apps to break and certain features on pages to stop working correctly. And it's almost a sort of world we live in now with Shopify is almost a kind of actually don't touch the code. That's potentially going to break things. So talking about apps then, give us an idea of what, what are some of the apps you guys use? Like certainly some, let's not focus on some of the small boring ones, but some of the better ones that, you know, you couldn't live without anymore or what, ones that have specifically helped you gain an increase in revenue over the years. You know, I just wanted to address uh the breaking a page really quick. Yeah, yeah, let's talk. Let's do it. The amount of times I've broken my website by trying to fiddle with code uh, instead of paying the few bucks for an app, I can't even count. But thankfully, Shopify does have that timeline where you can go back in time to when things worked and really you know, erase any problems that you've created. So for me, that's a huge feature. I'm someone that's always poking and always breaking things. And being able to just go back in time and fix it is great. Um, But some of the big ones that we use, there is a wholesale all-in-one app that we integrate with to help create like quantity break pricing and other stuff for some of our business customers. But the other ones would be like Zendesk, being able to integrate directly with our customer service platform, which has our chat system, our contact us pages. It all funnels into one program for us, which is huge. Nice. Bright Pearl, obviously, is another big one that we couldn't live without. The other one would be ShipStation. All of our shipping prior to Bright Pearl went straight from Shopify to ShipStation. We fulfilled all of our products in the same area. eBay, the eBay app was a big one for a very long time for us, and as well as the Walmart. And I'd say those are probably our biggest ones that we use you know, on a daily basis or used. Nice. And what I like as well is it's not a really long list of apps, is it? It's a lot of those apps do a lot of things for you as opposed to what we see some stores getting wrong. And I'd be interested to hear if you've tried these things as well. But some stores actually go for the apps that like give you a, and I'll be honest, we had one of these when I got involved in Just Ask Parker, a big magic wheel you could spin <laughs> on the yeah. homepage that would give you a discount and that sort of thing. And some sites do it really well. So the guests we had last week from True Cable, they do have a very similar, you know, spin the wheel and get a discount kind of thing. But they've branded it nicely. It's part of the journey. And it's also the only kind of pop-up overlay you see. It's not one of 20. But 
is that a fair assessment then do you guys use kind of try to go for fewer apps that do more things as opposed to more apps and therefore potentially more problems yeah you hit it on the head in the beginning we had way too many apps and at one point we had to just reinstall our theme just to start over in some way to kind of not have such a slow load time when you install too many apps your pages start to get bogged down we had issues with our google analytics not being able to connect because there was too many things in the way. Oh, wow. So we really go for that simple. You know, we use constant contact for kind of our marketing end of things. And, you know, we have one pop-up and that's it. You know, we try to catch people before they leave. We've tried the wheel, similar to what you described. It's not for us. The one that we had wasn't super customizable. We use it for like a month. But, you know, using apps that have multiple functions is what we go for. I'll be honest, I've never heard anybody that's managed to stop analytics loading because of too many apps. I've, I've seen other problems with analytics, like putting it in the wrong end of the cookie message and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine it happening, though. I think we get a lot of page speed optimization requests at Parker. And one of the issues we always find is just there'd be 50 or 60 apps on there. And some of them are dormant, but the code's still loading, the JavaScript's still firing, and it's failing. So it doesn't look at the next piece of JavaScript or the next script on the page. And it just causes so many problems. And I think, you know, if I could give one bit of advice to stores, and I, I'm, it sounds like you'd agree with this as well, it would be to think about customer journey before you start adding apps. So rather than looking at it thinking, okay, this app here is telling me that it can increase my Facebook following by double, well, that might be true, but at what costs? Is that going to take people away from the shopping journey or actually frustrate the other half of the audience that don't click on it? You know, and I think thinking about that overall journey and a piece of advice that we, we gave, I think, back in July when we had a friend of mine from an agency got on the state on, one of the big bits of advice from Chris was actually to look at your website and, and use it yourself as if you're a customer and then also watch other people using it and stay completely silent. Just watch what they do look at where they're frustrated, find pages where there are too many pop-ups and too many things going on. Because I think one side of this is obviously customer journey. And the other side is, as you've outlined, Nick, is actually just breaking the technology, stopping Google Analytics from actually firing on certain pages. I agree with what everything you said. The one thing I would say too is, you know, load speed. Mm. I forget the exact load speed, but it's like a fraction of a second is all people are willing to give your website before they hit the back button. And so, you know, keeping that in mind with what you're doing, if you're using a ton of different apps on your product page, each one has to load before the product page will load. And so utilizing a theme or someone that knows how to build a theme is going to be key to make sure that you can get your functions and how things, how you want your customer journey to load in a timely manner. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing you've mentioned there as well is getting an expert in to help you build a theme. And I think that's the key is when you're starting out, I think, as you say, free themes are great. And then you maybe get a premium one for $100 or $200 and you sort of modify it and make it do what you want to. But certainly as stores start to grow, I think heading towards a custom theme is, is absolutely perfect. Are you guys using a custom theme at the moment then? We have a theme that we use the, the creator's theme to help customize certain features of it. Yes. Cool. We haven't done like a full custom theme though. Cool. And I think, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's it's having a theme that you can customize or get the person that made the theme to customize it as well is is absolutely fine. I think what we're always aiming for is what's fit for purpose. You know, what 
what works well, what loads properly, what looks good to the user, what doesn't cause problems in terms of technical bits, etc. I think is, uh, is is really really key. But um, let's let's rewind the clock again. Let's go back then. So you guys started it off partly because I I think your journey is quite an interesting one. I want to dig into a few bits of it. You guys started off, you've got all the different channels running. Let's focus on Shopify, given that that's where most of our audience are going to be. Let's focus on Shopify. What were some of the biggest challenges you had then when you launched the Shopify store, specifically around traffic, you know, getting enough traffic in, getting enough sales? What were some of the things that you guys found really easy, but also found quite difficult in that, that early stage of Shopify? You know, my problems that I had then probably wouldn't be as big as a problem now, but starting off, getting the website up was pretty painless. It took me probably a couple evenings to start to build out the content because Shopify has so many things pre-built for you, just like your disclaimers. Mm. I mean, that's a huge thing to check off the list. They've got tons of different agreement options for you so you can have a legit website. So some of the areas that I really struggled in was interacting with Google. When I first started, Shopify didn't have a native integration to Google. Right, yeah. So I was utilizing different apps to help me get the different strings of code into Shopify so that I could do ads. And then being able to create a campaign with my product. Today, you know, Google Merchant's basically built into Shopify. So getting your product into Google Merchant took me weeks, you know, unbelievable amount of work to create some product feed and keeping the product feed up to date so that it was accurate and meeting all of Google's requirements with your feeds. So that was my biggest issue. Google ads worked fantastic for us. Bing does okay. But, you know, that was our biggest challenge, which if I was starting today, wouldn't be. Sure. And I think as somebody who's been diving through all the latest shopping updates the last few months, I can vouch that it is easier than ever. And actually, the problems we're finding clients are having at the moment with Google Shopping and Merchant Center is actually with things like the data protection officer and getting that right or how to optimize the feed, which, in my opinion, is all the stuff you should be spending your time on. And as you say, you know, five years ago, I remember trying to integrate Google Shopping and there were a few apps. And in a good way, Shopify are making lots and lots of updates to try and make this seamless and get to where they are today, where, as you say, it's native, it's it's built in, you automatically have a, an Atom feed without having to do anything. And you can put that into whatever system and modify it and go from there sort of thing. But because they were making so many updates five years ago, the other challenge was as soon as you got something working, they changed the API or the apps that you were using no longer worked because they made it easier, which then means the apps didn't need to do as much. So then the apps had to update and you had to wait for that. So I remember five years ago, we had a lot of issues where clients shopping, you'd come into the office in the morning and, oh, all of our shopping campaigns are dead on Shopify again. Or, you know, three three of our five Shopify accounts we set up last week, they're not working. We need to work out why now. And the developers are saying it's going to take two weeks to get the, the feed back up and running. And I think in the end, we actually opted just to do a weekly manual export of products out of Shopify and into a Google Sheet uh, just, just to get it working at the time. Honestly, you started to increase my heart rate talking about that because I know I mentioned <laughs> that breaking Google Analytics and having to completely reinstall the theme. And it kind of goes hand in hand with what you're talking about. The code that I had put in using a third-party app was conflicting with what Shopify had 
then built into it. And being the non-coder that I was, I didn't know how to fix it. And, you know, bootstrapping, you know, sometimes doesn't leave it to being able to just dish it off to a third party. So I just refreshed the theme that was installed and updated everything. And, you know, that was a big challenge for me because we had everything break for, you know, a couple of weeks trying to figure it out. I hope I don't make your heart rate go any higher, but <laughs> I, I found my in my experience with things like that, there's like a full stop missing <laughs> from one place or like a single space you've missed in a line of code somewhere and it can break everything. But yeah, as you say, it's, it does sound like in this case, it was probably conflicting updates from Shopify trying to make things automatic and native versus you trying to hack together something you'd already hacked together, which you'd already hacked together before that <laughs> to try and make it work sort of thing. So I think certainly on these platforms, one of the challenges is always when sometimes when Shopify make one of those big updates for everybody, it does then cause lots of things to break for everybody. And it's completely unique in every scenario, depending on how you've tried to make systems work together. Today, though, for anyone listening, Shopify has loads of great applications now for Google Shopping. And you can set up a feed and put it straight into Merchant Center. You can then modify the feed using an app and then put a different feed from the app into Merchant Center, which then means you can set automated rules. So in terms of the way you categorize or productize products in shopping itself, product type it's called, you can set those to be automated and make sure they're nicely optimized so that you get better search terms within your Google Ads account, et cetera. It's better than it's ever been. And actually, the updates Google were making now have gone back to what I would describe as rubbish. <laughs> so a lot, of the, a lot of the things Google Ads are doing are actually trying to, in my opinion, over-automate the Google Ads platform. They're taking away data from the advertisers. And we're certainly, most of our clients are still growing, still doing well. But we're certainly the last six months, we've had to really stay on our toes with Google Ads. Um, we've had days where we've come in and you know $100,000 or £100,000 a month worth of spend is now just paused without warning because Google's changed something and not told us or they told us they were changing it but didn't explain exactly what was going to happen. Um, we found some keywords in a client's account this week that were really long tail niche exact match keywords and suddenly out of nowhere, they'd gone from 200 searches a month to five or 6,000 in a single day. And there's no search term report to tell us what is triggering that. So yeah, my, my advice with Google Ads is to make sure you're with somebody like us or, or you've got somebody internally that really keeps, their, uh, really keeps their eyes and toes on it. They don't necessarily need to know every single update and what's going on. It's more a case of just spotting things changing quickly to then know how to, how to deal with it. But on, on that note... Tell us how much you guys have been using Google Ads then. You, you mentioned that Google search has been important to you. Are you guys running, you know, without giving too much away, of course, but are you guys running lots of Google shopping campaigns? Are you also running search campaigns? Are you playing with re retargeting, display? You know, give us a kind of just a quick overview of what channels you're using and how you're using them, which ones are working well for you. So we use almost Google solely at this point. We've gone through Facebook. We've gone through Bing. We've tried all different types of Google ads, but the what works for us is our Google shopping. My industry, people typically don't know exactly what they want to buy. They know it looks like what's in their unit. So they'll search something big, let's say like a bake element. And so the pictures from Google shopping ads really help them find what they're looking for. So for us, Google shoppings is, you know, our bread and butter. We've gone through the local ads, we've done the the search term ads, all sorts of different targeted ads, but the Google shopping 
is always what's brought the return to make it worth it. We still do run some of the local ads just for local homeowners, possibly trying to find someone near them. Mm -hmm. But Google Shopping is where we spend probably 90% of our ad spend. Cool. And that's music to my ears. We've just finished a series on social. Actually, we did an episode on, uh, on social advertising. And the output of that was was very much mostly focused on Facebook and Instagram. And the output really was that you can get any brand to work. But the caveat we've certainly noticed with Facebook and a lot of our guests and experts on Facebook advertising we've had on, they all say it really is about data. But to get data, you have to spend money. And so one of the issues at the moment is trying to get Facebook to be profitable means that sometimes you have to spend money for three or even six months fairly blind to get enough data in and trust that whoever you've got managing that data is going to, or managing the account, is going to make the right decisions based on that data in the in the longer term. Equally, it's not, you know, somebody who, you know, predominantly in, in our business, we work on, on Google advertising. We do a little bit of Bing, a little bit of social, but it's mostly Google. It's music to my ears to hear about Google shopping. One of the first episodes I ever recorded was back in July, August last summer. And anyone who's attentively listening and, and thinking I've listened to that episode, well done. Um, I disagree with about 30% of what I said in that episode because the platforms have changed so much already. But I did a sort of Facebook ads versus Google ads and very much highlighted that, you know, the benefits of Facebook in terms of reach and you can get in front of pretty much anyone. But the biggest downside, I think, and it sounds like you guys have had the same thing, buying intent just isn't there, is it? On Google, people want it. They're searching for, in your case, a specific part for a dishwasher or a washing machine or an oven. You know, I need a light bulb. I need a fan. I need this exact bit for this appliance. And they just you don't go on Facebook and search that because you wouldn't get any results of any meaning. You'd get lots of random profiles or no results at all for that kind of search. So I can absolutely see why Google has been has been so effective for you guys. Yeah, I, when we're talking about Facebook, one of the things that triggers me is that I think half the clicks are just click bots crawling Facebook. There's so many fake profiles on on Facebook that I can't justify any of the clicks that are driving people to the website. And I know that when I'm scrolling through social media, I always accidentally click ads. And so for me, I like the idea that it's intentional that you're going to Google to search for something and you're intentionally finding what you need. So that's like you had mentioned, you're not just going to Facebook to search for appliance parts. Yeah. I think um, the other the other big point I've, I make quite a lot as well on this that I think is relevant to this is that if you imagine marketing like a target, so say you're doing archery and you're firing arrows, the center of the target, the absolute middle, in my experience, is bottom of what we, what we call bottom of the funnel. As you say, they're buy ready. They're typing in an appliance part number or a specific part for a specific appliance into Google, they're clearly buy ready. They've done the research. They, they obviously have to know at this stage what the problem with the appliance is. They just need to order the part now. And so they're bottom of the funnel. They've done all their research. Now they're buy ready. And the analogy we often use with this target is that's the bullseye. But then to grow the business the next level, and it sounds like you guys might be a step before this or going through this at the moment is to grow the business, you need to take one step outside of that inside part of the target next, and then start to do a bit more of a, they kind of think they know what they need. So let's give them some guides and a bit of guidance. And then another step out and another step out and another step out. And then you find on the outside of the target, you find more sort of, you know, Facebook ads that say, did you know, instead of replacing appliances, you could fix them. They're not going to be buy ready yet. And you need to have incredibly good brand awareness to really hook those guys in and, and get them to convert. Otherwise, there's no point spending any money on the advertising. And so 
So we certainly notice as brands grow and scale, they have to venture out of that middle part of the target because they run out of extra keywords to target. And people who are searching on Google, they they reach what I call terminal velocity. They reach the, the maximum amount they can get from Google. And now it's about maintaining that amount and then trying new things, which is where display and maybe text ads, for example, on Google start to come in as a secondary part to shopping. And so it'd be interesting to hear it in your experience or obviously my last question, I don't want to jump the gun too early uh, in, the, in this podcast episode, but what's next for you guys then? How do you see your growth expanding? Like, do you, do you still see a lot of potential on Google shopping? Are you guys growing your product range? So actually then the, you can still stay in the middle of the target, but you've got more products. What, what, what's the kind of, you know, next five to 10 year focus for you guys as, uh, as a business? Yeah. So you kind of nailed the nail over the head when it comes to just trying to intercept the customer's right before they're buy ready. We really go for the customer that knows that the specific, there's a noise. Let's say your, your dryer is noisy. So we tr- start to put in kind of like some search term ads trying to catch people searching for symptoms with their appliance part, making a humming noise, vibrating dryer. And so we try to intercept them when they recognize that there's an issue and they're trying to figure out what's going on and then help them through the process of saying, hey, you know, typically when your dryer's making a rattling noise, you're going to need to replace this, this, and that. And let me get your model number. Okay, here are those three parts for you. Well, actually, we have a kit. You can buy all three at the same time for a reduced price. So that's really our model is the customer service, putting the customer first and trying to intercept them before they know exactly what they want. And it's not that we don't like when they know exactly what they want, but when they know exactly what they want, they're going to start to compare prices a little bit more aggressively. And so we try to get people when they know they need something and they want to spend their money with us because we've offered them such a great service. So that's our big focus. And similar to what you said, we're growing the range of products that we offer while continuing this push. But our big focus is going to be the website in the next five to 10 years just because you don't know what eBay, Walmart, and Amazon have in their their playbooks. Sure. And I think I've got loads of questions now. Uh, You've just completely opened my mind in terms of the customer journey and the way you guys approach it. So I love the fact that you've gone, okay, people are going to search a specific part to buy it. What's the search they do before that? Which you've highlighted perfectly, I think, is you know, I've got a problem. These are the symptoms of the problem. My washing machine, my dryer is making a funny noise. It's this kind of noise. I'm going to search that on Google. And let's hook them in then and give them such a good service and such an obvious solution to it. Well, you just need to buy this stuff and then you or a, you know, an expert can go and fit them kind of thing. So my first question is content wise, and in terms of customer journey, how do you do what you've just explained in terms of saying, you've got this problem, these are the three or four parts you need, and we can bundle them together, or there's a kit you can buy. So is that live chat? Is that a blog post? Is that just the way that you've uh, created all of your categories on the website? Is it a video? Is it all of the above? Like, What does that journey look like in terms of actual user journey and, and, and content that, that they read and, and interact with? So yeah, there's a ton of stuff that we do for that. First, we use our we we record all different interactions we have with our customers. So the FAQs. So we go through our FAQs, see what customers are constantly asking us, and we try to create solutions for them. So we'll do a blog post talking about how you solve it or how you identify what it is. We'll create kind of a little YouTube video that we put up on YouTube 
We may promote that YouTube video via uh, Google. We have our customer portal in Zendesk that we use to kind of help post some of these things as well. We'll do blog posts about it that are then promoted on social media, both Facebook and Instagram. So we really try to distribute this content as much as possible. We upload it to our Amazon store so that there's some information on it. There's a new section of Amazon where you can post information and we even use Amazon's, you know, blogging area. Nice. I love that. There's there's definitely a, a rule of thumb with e-commerce at the moment. And two or three years ago, it was massive in SEO. And it was trying to get websites to be less like a marketplace, like an eBay or Amazon, and make them more like a brand. And Google made a massive, massive push on this. And it's remained the same ever since that you need to have a brand presence. And it sounds to me like you guys obviously have a clear brand that solves a problem. And what I love as well is so many store owners we've had on the podcast over the last few, you know, last sort of six, maybe even nine months now, um, they're all talking about a similar thing to you of solving problems. And I love the fact you guys solve the first problem. And the problem is what's making that noise. And then you solve the next problem of now, how, what do I need to fix it? And then you solve the next problem of, and where do I get that stuff? And what is it, you know, what's it going to cost? How do I fit it, et cetera. And I think, again, it's, it's good to hear that you guys are doing so much on the content side. But that probably presents another challenge, I imagine. And we, we had this challenge as well with True Cable last week, another one of Bright Pearl's customers. And the challenge that we have with those guys, or the, sorry, the challenge that those guys had that we were talking about was that if you put such great FAQ content on your website, trying to get a good conversion rate from that can often be a challenge. And you always imagine when you're writing the content, you sort of think like, if I just put this guide up, and put click here to buy the product that's going to fix it, whatever, everyone would just click there and buy the product. And the reality couldn't be further from the truth. You know, the reality is they don't do that at all. Everybody reads the content and then don't buy anything. Have you guys had a similar problem? Or have you found yourself in such a niche that actually this hasn't been such an issue that you know, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head pretty quickly with this? No, that's part of why we need to constantly be adding new products and kind of always be innovating. Because this is part of the problem, you know, not only do we create the content, but it's also common for us to see some of our competitors taking that content and using it in their own way. And so we do know that there's a good chance that the customers are just going to come collect the information and move on. Yep. And we're, we're willing to say, hey, we still help this person in some way. Hopefully in the future, they'll refer us to a friend or a family member that's going through something, and we'll get the sale there. So we're very well aware that this content can empower people to to leave us and go someplace else. But we also know that we're just trying to create a customer journey, and it doesn't always lead to being a sale right then and there. Sure. I, I love that. I think you've, you've raised so many good points there just about, actually, even if the customer doesn't purchase, it's fine for us. As someone who's always worked supplier side, you can imagine how many phone calls I've had when we've launched all this great FAQ, how-to content and whatever. And then you get somebody senior who doesn't quite understand the numbers calling up and saying, am I reading Google Analytics right? Has our conversion rate really gone from like 3% down to like 0.2? And we always finish that conversation with, yes, but we have a motto here at Spec at, at my business. Never look at a piece of data in isolation. You know, Look at the rest of the data 
the traffic is not converting well. It's all kind of Google organic. We haven't paid per click for it. Um, that's all just from the organic side. And all of those sales are actually in addition to what we had before. And if we exclude people landing in our FAQ or our support area or the how-tos, et cetera, actually our conversion rate is still what it was before. It's still very healthy. But we've got a load of new traffic now at a lower conversion rate, which is actually going to boost our conversion rate later down the journey, you know, down the funnel, because there'll be more people further on. So sometimes you find that, you know, your conversion rate is absolutely plummeted, like, you know, three, five percent, something like that. Or even we've got one client that's up at 20 percent at the moment, which sounds really, really good. But they're so niche and we're desperately we just cannot find any other keywords at the moment on PPC and they're not spending very much either. So the conversion rate's amazing. Um, and it's super profitable, but it's not viable. They need to make more. So <laughs> there's a completely different challenge. But again, look at don't look at the data in isolation. Look at several statistics. So conversion rate could plummet because you've got way more web traffic. But if your overall revenue is up and your overall ROI from PPC and your SEO efforts is up, then actually you're winning now. It's just the case of you're just looking at one piece of data and you can... All data can be segmented as well. I think that's another key point is actually breaking that data down then into different traffic sources. So you could say organic. We don't actually care what the conversion rate from organic is at all, as long as we know when it goes down and we know what we're doing to bring it up. At PPC, we are worried about the conversion rate because we're paying for every single one of those clicks. So the main things we're worried about is what it's what it's cost us and what we've made back in direct revenue, indirect revenue, and then long-term lifetime value as well. So I think it's it's important to look at look at all the statistics uh, for sure. Let's take a complete gear change now. Let's talk about logistics because two reasons. Number one, Bright Pearl are sponsoring this and we both absolutely love Bright Pearl, hence why we're both here. And number two, it's an incredibly good tool and it solves a lot of very, very important problems. So what I what I'd like to talk about now if, if it's right with you, Nick, is what do you use Bright Pearl for, first of all? Like give us an overview of kind of you know, without we're not here just to sing their praises. I want to hear the kind of operational things. Like, what problems are you solving with Bright Pearl? Yeah. So, going back to February when the pandemic was first starting, you know, we were doing several hundred orders a day that had to be manually entered into our current system. So, wow, you're taking <laughs> you're taking customer data where you have to key in each segment of that order. You know, the address, the name the part, the quantity, so on and so forth. And then you have to release it to the warehouse, staple papers together and get it into the warehouse's hand to pick orders. So the issue that we ran into is we were so far behind because we had so much manual data to process. Mm. So after product was shipped, we then had to take that paperwork back into the office, key in the tracking number, mark the order as shipped, and then post it to an invoice to have the inventory removed from our system. We were sometimes two to three weeks behind on the posting, which means our inventory is not accurate. Our balance sheet and income statements are a mess. Okay. And so all of a sudden March comes and I just paid for Bright Pearl and then the pandemic hits and it was a tough time. You know, we had to figure out how to do all these manual processes without being in the office, which was very difficult. And so when we went live with Bright Pearl, it was just the first time that I could breathe. Bright Pearl became an automation system that I dreamed of. So it connected to Amazon, Shopify, eBay, and Walmart and automatically pulled in those orders. So right there, I'm caught up first thing in the morning. Orders are ready to go in the warehouse. It goes straight into Bright Pearl 
and automatically goes in the ship station, which means my warehouse now has it. We went completely paperless with this process. So the only thing we now print is the shipping label. And so it just became a full system where orders flew into Bright Pearl, flew into our ship station. The tracking number and information went back into Bright Pearl. It marked the order as complete and shipped and posted it and reduced the inventory from stock and then updated Amazon with the tracking number and all that information. So my inventory was 100% accurate on Amazon. I'm up to date second to second with my uh, financials, my inventory, and it just made my life so much greater. I had to go after lunch. I'd have to run into the warehouse to see how far behind we were because order entry was taking so long. And I'd have to help bust out some orders. I'd be packing things, uh, labeling things, everything. As soon as Bright Pearl came around, we were done shipping orders by 10 a.m. It just sped up every aspect of my operation. It's just not scalable, is it? I mean, you've got better things to do. Like, if you can't spend your time doing what is also incredibly difficult, which is marketing and branding and convincing people to buy stuff, how on earth are you going to grow the business if you don't have any time for the growth bits because you can barely keep up with what you've got today? Yeah, and that's just it. We couldn't keep up with what we were, we were earning. And so we kind of plateaued with Bright Pro. We couldn't take on more orders. We couldn't focus on advertising and we couldn't focus on the customers because we had everyone's all hands on deck entering orders and then helping fulfill in the warehouse. And so after we got Bright Pearl up and running, everyone got time back. You know, we each got like 20 hours a week back of time when you divide it up. And so we started to be able to focus on not just what we have coming in, but what we'll have in the future, focusing on the advertising, focusing on the customer to help create the content that we talked about, focus on the ads and also look at other potential customers such as businesses and start to build things for them. We were just completely bogged down and Bright Pearl completely solved it all. And it could have come at a better time than during a pandemic where everyone had to work from home. And it became something that didn't require physical seats in a building where a firewall is. You can access it from any computer with internet. Yeah, perfect. I think I hope you've said all these things to Bright Pearl, by the way, because <laughs> that, that's the kind of case study that people like me and Bright Pearl dream of. But no, I, I love the fact that you guys have gone through that process. And one reason I say that is that we have a philosophy in my business that we stick to quite quite heavily. When we have new people, regardless of their level, experience, grade, all that changes is how quickly they get from doing things manually to doing things automatically especially when we get junior people to so say we're doing some SEO or some PPC, we need to write a list of keywords. You know, what options have we got in terms of targeting traffic? Let's go from there and almost do it manually, like you say, because I think there'd be a very, very different response from somebody who set up their business today for the first time. And they got Shopify, they got Brightpile, they got some of the other apps you've got and had all of that on day one. They would be saying like, yeah, yeah, it all just kind of does, does what it needs to do. Whereas actually, you've got obviously that very, very passionate story about, you know, we, we started like this, we were losing time all over the place and probably didn't fully understand how much it was costing the business until we got a better solution in. I think sometimes going through that journey is all part of, it's all part of the learning process, but then also means that if something goes wrong in Bright Path, for example, or a setting's been changed somewhere and needs to be changed back, 
you know that process through and through. And you wouldn't know that if you hadn't gone through the same sort of thing. So I'm very much putting a silver lining on a very dark cloud here. And I appreciate that. But I think someone's going through that process is that, that level of education that you guys have had as a, as a team, as a business. I think it's probably absolutely critical for some of the decisions you continue to make today. Yeah. So one of the big things that we saw too along the way was when you're doing things manually, you make a lot of mistakes. It's so easy to, to hit a two instead of a one or, you know, let's say a four instead of a one and you're over shipping or you're under shipping or you're sending the wrong product. Or it goes to the wrong place and you get a complaint on Trustpilot and it all goes wrong. Yeah. When you have someone like Bright Pearl, you start to appreciate how it's creating less customer service for you mm. uh, because of all of those things. And so that was one of the things that we noticed as well with Bright Pearl is as we integrated more and got further away from the go live date, we had less and less customer service. We had a much better customer experience. And so that was something that took a little while for us to recognize. But you know, like you said, if you started out with Bright Pearl, you wouldn't realize how many things can truly go wrong in the customer journey that you don't intend to, that having a system like Bright Pearl just really creates such a seamless customer experience. And I'm going to say customer experience a few more times. but <laughs> Absolutely fine. <laughs> it just really helps you create what you want for your customers. No, and I think, I think that's really, really important. Now, look, we're coming up to the 45-minute mark. And my last question would normally be, so what's next and where are we going? But we covered that, and I think a very relevant time actually in the conversation. So my last question is going to be, if you started out again today, so if you were probably, you know, a big, big proportion of our listeners thinking Shopify sounds great, or they've got their first little store, or they've got a team of two or three of them now, and they're kind of like, we're so busy, How do, where do we go next? If you were starting out again, and also the advice to those guys that you'd give to yourself sort of thing, what would you do differently? Or what are some of the fundamentals that you just, that would be the first thing I do or within the first year, I would have to do this, this and this. Otherwise I'd run into problems. It would all go wrong. You know, wh what's the best bit of advice you could give to some of our, some of our listeners that are, they're on the verge of really starting to grow, but they're just not quite getting there yet. You know, for me, everything's about the customer journey. So mm. we talked about it a little while ago, start from the beginning, start from what, what you envision your customer experience to be and work backwards and find the systems that will allow you to do that automatically. Manual aspects of business is not the future. Automations is the future and where you need to be spending your time figuring out those systems so you can work less and not harder and more. So that's going to be, you know, what I would do for myself is I did the best with what I had back then. But today, there's so many tools available to you and so many people with, that can help you with it. Working with a partner that can help connect you with the different tools that you need. I'm pretty regularly helping sellers on the seller forms with different things. I promote Bright Pro quite a lot. But you know, finding someone that's an expert that can really show you what you need to get in place before you get on the platforms. Cool. I think it's invaluable advice. And just to flag to everybody listening as well, the seller forums that you've just mentioned, absolutely brilliant. The amount of times we have a problem and 
I'll be honest, clients ask us problems and there's a high amount of those problems we get. We just jump on Google or certainly with Shopify, we jump on the seller forums and think, you know, just has anyone else had the same sort of issue these guys are having and could it be easily fixed or is it something that you have to ask Shopify or is it locked or is it an app problem or whatever it might be? I highly recommend the seller forums because as you said, Nick, people like yourself who've got five years experience in this thing now, hands on as a stakeholder as well, not just purely as a I know a bit about Shopify or I service Shopify clients. As a stakeholder who knows what's at risk if things go wrong, are on there talking. I highly recommend that, you know, if anybody listening, if you've not been on the seller forums, do get involved there. It's free just to create an account. You can go on there, ask questions, you can help other people, etc. It really is an amazing community that's building there. So yeah, highly recommend it. Look, Nick, it's been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate your time. And just before we say goodbye, just give us a quick shout out to your website what's the best way to get in contact with you or to check out your business what what's the best way to engage with yourself yeah thanks nick i'm really happy to be here our website is snap.parts and that'll take you to everything you need to see you can also get in contact with us at support at snap.parts and we have a phone number on the website feel free to reach out to us or chat with us on the website and we're always here to help that's our motto cool well thanks so much nick really appreciate your time today thanks you too Cool. And for anybody else listening, we'll be back next Friday, as always. Apologies again. I still, I know it was weeks ago now, but I still feel bad for an episode we missed a few weeks back and didn't give anyone a heads up. We got more complaints than I would like to admit, but it is a free podcast. So we put a lot of time into this, but uh, we'll be back again next Friday. Check out the Facebook group, Winning with Shopify, if you want to get involved there. Um, Hit the subscribe button if you can. We'll be back again next week with part three of this series on automating your business to uh, to scale in partnership with Brightpulse. So thanks again for listening. Back next week, and I hope you all stay safe. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.